I had a premature click. I promise that almost never happens. Mm -hmm. Sure. Oh, Casper, I want to meet. I want to say Oedipus, but it's not Oedipus. It's Odysseus. Odysseus. Sure, yeah. We can be in Odysseus at some point. He is not currently in the room. Um, we have started introducing the two of them together, um, and that's going okay. Um, he is a very sweet, sweet, tolerant boy. Um, he's very respectful of Artemis' distance. Um, he's just really curious about her. She fucking hates him. <laughs> of course she does. So she will, like, sit and growl and hiss and just, like, not want anything yeah. to do with him. And he just sits there and just kind of looks at us and kind of looks at her and just slowly inches his way until he gets a little too close. And then she, like, spits at him and he runs away. Aww. Wants nothing but love. He wants nothing but love and affection. Poor Odysseus. It's also really sad because he has the cone of shame on right now because he just got neutered. Um, and so he's also blind in one eye. And so uh, also... In, in a new environment, so he's probably in running into everything. So if we keep this part in, um, I probably should tell the li listeners my roommate recently adopted a new cat named Odysseus. Um, and we are trying to introduce him and my cat, Artemis. And that's going... All right. It's all right on one side. <laughs> they could be worse. They haven't he's killed each alive. other yet. Yeah. But yeah, so he's blind in one eye, and now we've given him, like, fucking blinders, and he's in a new home, so you just hear just him just, like, whacking into everything <gasps> constantly. Poor <laughs> Odysseus. He, uh, he also is, like from the get-go was not a very graceful cat even before we put the cone of shame on him mm -hmm. so you just kind of just hear just like thump 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 every day everywhere that's like my cat Aww. my cat is we have one very graceful elegant bougie cat and then one just oaf <laughs> who just falls over everything and is scared of literally <laughs> everything oh such a sweet boy I will say, though, he is one of the most tolerant cats. So we had to give him a bath because he like he lived on the street for a while. And so once we like we took him to the vet, he got all checked out. He's totally fine. But he was just kind of grimy. Mm. Um, and so we're like, OK, we'll give him a bath. And me and Coyote were like, we'll go ahead and do it. Um, and I was like doing the soap and everything. And I just watched this cat just like put like pause everywhere he could go and i was like oh god we're gonna come out of this like it's a blood bath like there's gonna mm -hmm. be scratches everywhere and so we finally finished the bath and i turned to kai and i'm like okay like what's the damage not a scratch on them Aww. sweetest cat in the world Aww. like didn't like he was clearly in distress and clearly didn't like it but just Does wouldn't he have his scratch claws? yeah Aww. he just lost his will to I live like in him. that moment he's like there's yep. no hope <laughs> This is how I die. There's no hope. Everything is everything is awful. <laughs> this is how I die. Uh, and then you put him in a cone. And then we put him in a cone. It's been a rough couple days for him. Anyways, should we start? We should. Welcome to Mile 13. Yeah. My name is Kim. Hey. And that's Jackie. And that's Casper. What and up? we are once again doing a Corona edition of Mile 13 from... Beaver Creek, Fairborn, and Chicago. Woo! Quarantine! How are, how are things going in the big city, Casper? More or less the same. Um, the mayor got mad at us because he was like, we like did the, so we did the whole stay at home lockdown kind of thing that I think everyone is under now. Um, yeah. 
but he like said in a speech very specifically that everyone was still allowed like grocery stores were still going to be open like roads were still going to be open you could still go to parks you could still hike and then apparently people started gathering at parks in too many groups and so he got mad and started closing down all of the parks so now if you go to like any like playground or anything like that they'll just be like big red signs that say like closed by the state of illinois and it's kind of like hmm so yeah, apparently we can't behave. <laughs> We're kind of at that point. Like our playgrounds have been closed for about a week. Um, but you can still go to parks. Like there there are tons of uh I discovered a super awesome um tree <laughs> on a, a like they're across from the house where we're gonna move at some point when I don't know. Our we still have a closing date of April tenth, so we'll see, but um Across the street, there's a like a nature reserve. Oh, that's awesome! And so I took the kids out hiking there the other day, and there were I mean there weren't like there were some people out, um, but not a lot. There's a lot of people that walk their dogs out there. But then Steve and I went out today, and we took a different path than what the girls and I had taken the other day. And there's a huge tree that looks like it was hit by lightning at some point, and it's completely hollowed out, and you can just like I don't it's it's probably. I would say 10 feet in diameter, like cool. it's oh, huge and it's I'll I'll send pictures or maybe post pictures if I think of it. Um, but you can just go inside and look straight up and see straight through this hollowed out tree. That's awesome. And it's, it's really, really cool. Me and Coyote have gotten really into going on hikes um, and mostly because we don't really follow the path. We kind of just delve off into the woods and we know if we go in a certain direction, eventually we'll find our way out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're definitely going to die in the woods someday. But um, <laughs> we went to this, like, local forest preserve nearby. And we were just, like, traveling through the woods. And we were pretty, like, deep in them. And all of a sudden, we just found this, like, hollow tree. And someone had, like, built a fort out of it. So there's this oh. whole fort. And, like, as we, like, walked along, we started finding, like, other little, like, makeshift like makeshift shacks that they had built. Like, fire pits. There were a couple, like, swings that they had, like, tied up to trees. And we were, like who who is doing this because clearly it's a group of friends that are coming out to hang out here and, and we realized that by the capability of building they were clearly older people like teenagers or older uh-huh. and with the amount of beer cans and trash around we decided there was a 50 50 chance of them being cool fun punks or complete assholes <laughs> hmm. i'm gonna go with cool fun punks i want it to be cool fun punks I, yeah because i don't think I don't think complete assholes would build swings. Well, they weren't like swings. They were more so like ropes that you could hold on and like swing your body around. Even still, I don't think that they would do that. They like to just sit around and drink and not do anything That's true. Fun. I would back. But also, opinion. while we're out in the woods, I am continuously amazed at my girlfriend's ability to find bones in the forest. Just random animal bones consistently all the time. We went, um, we actually... Before everything went crazy, crazy lockdown, we went to um, visit their family in Belleville, um, which is like south of Illinois. Um, And we went for a walk in the woods out there and we found like five what's called sheds, which are right. That's what they're called. Uh, sheds which are uh, basically when a deer loses their antler but uh, so it was just like antler deers uh, antler deers deer antlers. (laughs) 
we also found like um part of a deer's skull we found like uh, jaw bones that still had teeth in them we found like leg bones i found a little raccoon skull like it was impressive Dude, so coyote is you need to johnny cash this up and one piece at a time some kind of forest creature just like a diy like animal with like deer antlers and like a frog body just build it yes. one at a time i That'd love be so it cool one leg is yes. a deer and then one is like a little fox so it's like What's it called? A, a Wamigo? Wendigo? Wendigo. That's or what no, it, Wendigo. Yeah, like a Wendigo. Yeah, build a Wendigo. I dig it. Out of bones from forest animals. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Coyote making fun of me. Yes. Coyote making fun of me. Yes. You know what, Coyote? No, Nobody asked you. Technically, they're making fun of me because I know okay. it's pronounced Wendigo, uh, Wendigo, but you said Wendigo, which is the wrong way to say it. So I said Wendigo. And no, so you, they were you, like, you, they were like, how dare you say that? I know. They were making fun of me, and I was blaming you. <laughs> Whatever. Nothing but love. Jackie, how's, uh, how's your life going? You got a new, a new band that you're managing. Oh, kind of. Yeah, so um, while we're in quarantine, I've been doing a lot of art stuff. Brandon's been doing music stuff, so we've like rebranded his music, and it's called Indigo and Lights, which I came up with the name, so... Nice. nice. You're welcome. I thought so. I do like cool. that name. Yeah. Is can you explain the name? Or it just sounds cool. Just cool. Um <laughs> So is there meaning or is it just cool? So Brandon came up with the name Indigo and then I was listening to a podcast on Indigo and I was like, Hey Like the colors? Yes. Um huh. interesting it, podcast. Well, no, so actually it was because indigo was one of the main crops in the early Americas. It was like tobacco and indigo. And hmm. um, indigo was one of the only colors. Because like before the 1900s or 1800s, any dye that you got had to occur in nature. Because that's just how you got it. You just, There's no synthetic colors. Yeah. But indigo was the only one that had to go under like a really extreme process to get its color. So it was like a bunch of chemical reactions. Because if you like break indigo, it's not indigo at all. So I told him. Um, I told him like, you can justify this by saying, oh, indigo is one of those things in order for the color to appear, it has to go through this intense process to be beautiful. I really like that. Yeah. That's cool. Um, wasn't it also like for a very, very long time, we didn't have the color blue because it didn't appear anywhere in nature. Mm -hmm. It was something like that. Yeah. I thought I remember learning that at some point that like blue was like one of the last colors that we were able to create paint wise yeah, i think so and then purple was difficult to make which i think was indigo um and then so that was like the color of royalty because it was expensive yeah. to make so i made that up and then i added in lights because it just popped into my head and i was like brandon that like sounds <laughs> cool so it does sound cool is it indigo and really lights cool. just brandon or does he have bandmates it's just him i like yeah. it and i did my first video but yeah I've just been doing art. He's been doing music. That's pretty much it. I feel like your your place would be the best place in the world to be quarantined right now. Like your neighbors are probably super lucky because you have just constant stream of music. Although I say that and living with a, a musician, I know that a lot of times it's just the same repetitive, like three or four chords over and over and over and over again. So, so, so your neighbors might be like pitchforks and torches <laughs> by the end of the week. 
Anyway, should we should we talk about some spooky stuff? I would love yes. to. Um, so I I think I'm gonna go first uh, because my st- this is not spooky at all. At, like at and then all. me, and then not even a little you. bit. Today we're talking about a place right down the road from us, um, a, a little town called Athens, Ohio. That's not down the road what? from us. And what? That's not down the road from us. I mean, figuratively speaking. It's like a two-hour drive, I, isn't I, it? No. I mean, figuratively it, speaking, anything drive? is right down the road from you. It's also right yeah. down the road from me. It's like a one-hour drive, maybe. It's not a two-hour drive. Anyway. Two hours and seven minutes. Is it really that far? Mm -hmm. So a little bit down the road from you guys. I mean, you're not going to walk there, but it's a pleasant (laughs) drive. Uh, The places that we're going to be talking about are in Athens, Ohio. And I'm going to take a stab at uh, Ohio University. Which is basically like the entire town of Athens. Um, now, Ohio was founded as a state in 1803, and in 1804, the Ohio General Assembly passed an act establishing the Ohio University. Now, it is important right off the bat to point out that the Ohio University and the Ohio State University are not at all the same place. Yes, and do not get um, those mixed up. Casper has gotten these things confused multiple times this week. I, in fact, am saving this file under the title OSU, which is definitely the wrong school. Already saved this file as Ohio State. See, so <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's not. It's a common. It's a. It's a common. My mistake. notes are labeled Ohio State. I'm sure I say Ohio State like a ton throughout all of my notes. This will be great. It is a common misconception among non-native. Ohioans, but Ohio State is in Columbus and Ohio University is in Athens, which is like a completely different part of the state. And it's older. Um it's kinda near kinda near Cincinnati, Jackie, would you say? Um like that's the closest big city. I was gonna say let's oh well let me see. No, no, oh gosh, no. Um so, oh, sorry. <laughs> I suck at geography. So I know that they're different cities. You're, yeah, you're about an O for zero or a two for zero now. Cincinnati is an hour like southeast. And then Athens is almost directly two hours west. So it's like oh. this way and this way. So, oh. so not even a little bit. So if you go in the complete right. opposite well, direction of Cincinnati, then you're <laughs> then you know you'll what, get guys? there. I'm on day 17 of quarantine right now, so... Excuses, excuses. No, I completely understand. I, I like, the fact that it's just me and Brandon here is so nice, because I could not imagine being quarantined with children and ha- just having noise and being quarantined. Like, if I'm going to stay home, I want to be in my bubble. No one talk to me. Sure. Anyway. Anyways. Back to Ohio University. Not Ohio State. Not Ohio State. OU opened in 1808 with one building, three students, and a professor named Jacob Lindley. Sure. So that's all it takes to make a college. A whole lot of not much. In 1828, 
after only 24 years after its founding and 33 years before the start of the Civil War, John Newton Templeton earned an AB degree, which made him that made him the third black man to graduate from college and the first from OU. Wow. So they've been kind of progressive right from the beginning. That's dope. Good for them. In 1873, Margaret Boyd was the first woman to graduate. Represent. And this is something that I thought was really cool. The College Green is the center of campus, and it's home to the Alumni Class Gateway. Now, the gateway is a big arch, and it's got two inscriptions, one on the street side that reads, So enter that daily thou mayest grow in knowledge, wisdom, and love. And another on the campus side that says, So depart that daily thou mayest better serve thy fellow men, thy country, and thy God. So okay. when you enter campus, um, they pretty much like put their their um, worldview, I guess, right up front. They want you to grow in knowledge, wisdom, and love. And they remind you of that every time you come onto campus. And then every time you leave, they want you to remember that you are going out to serve the world. Hmm. So I thought I like that was that. really neat. Yeah. Um, I can get behind Ohio that. Ohio University's colors are green and white, and they have been since 1896, although the shade of green has changed over the years from, like, more of, like, a Kelly green to, I think now it's more of kind of an olive drab, although I might have the backwards. Um, this is also kind of cool. The school has a ceremonial mace. I love what? it. Yeah, like, a mace. You know, like what knights carry, like the, the oh, chain cool. with cool, the cool, spiky cool. ball on it. It's 46 inches long, it's cast in bronze, and it weighs 16 pounds, and it's carried at all university ceremonies. I freaking love so, that. So, like, commencement, anytime Wait. they bestow things. So, who gets to carry it? Can I carry Rob, it? Rob. May I carry you it? You go to OU? I would imagine maybe, like, the president or the provost maybe the provost i want it to be the mascot does it have sharp pointy ends on it can i hit people with it may i, I mean, hit I people guess if with you're strong this. enough it weighs 16 pounds that's not it's that 46 much. inches long it's so it's like it's like two feet long 16 pounds cast in bronze it's a it's definitely a weapon i think we could do it I'm here for it. <laughs> now, until 1925, the school teams had just been called the Green and White, but the powers that be decided they needed a proper mascot, and they held a contest. So Jackie said, um, you know, maybe it's the mascot that carries it. Former student Hal I H. Rowland. Oh, I'm sorry, Casper. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. Quarantine. I forgive you. Sorry, I have quarantine brain. Quarantine brain. It's fine. Hal H. Rowland designed the Bobcat logo, and he earned ten dollars as his prize, which is about one hundred fifty dollars. Whole ten dollars? Well, it's about one hundred and fifty dollars in today's money, so he got paid a little bit. All right, bit. that's all right. Although you think about how much money the school has made off of that Bobcat logo since. That's true. <sighs> anyway, I'm surprised yeah. they weren't just like, "Oh, it would look great on a resume. You would love the experience." <laughs> As a designer, it's a really good experience. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're not going to pay times. you, but it, it's worth it. The Bobcat didn't actually appear as a mascot until 1960, but that year the OU football team finished 10 and 0, unlike me and my geography. And they were, excuse me, I keep burping up Guinness. 
They were selected NCAA college division champions, which just goes to show you that someone in a costume dancing on the sidelines is vitally important to football. Yeah. It is. If it hadn't been for the Bobcat, they might not have won. Go, Bobcat, Um, go. And in another similarity between Ohio State and Ohio University, the latter has a pretty famous marching band. Everybody knows about the Ohio State marching band, and while OU doesn't quite have the best damn band in the land, the 110 is well-known in its own right. They've got heart, and that's all that matters. That's really what it is. They used to be 110 members. They are not anymore. They're bigger. But um, so it's no longer 110 members, but instead they keep the number as a commentary that they always give 110%. Good. Yeah. So um, so today, Ohio University has more than 28,000 students, so pretty far cry from those first three. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit more, I'd say. Just a few they more. They have t- 276 undergraduate degree programs. And historically, OU is a party school, especially at Halloween. Like, in the whole state of Ohio, they're kind of legendary for their Halloween street parties. But but students now will say that police and local government has re- have really cracked down on them. And they'll tell you that the atmosphere is it's pretty small-town rural, but that it's a very open-minded and diverse place where just about everyone is welcome. So that's... That's sweet. That's nice. That's a little bit about Ohio State. Um, now... <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about one of the buildings that Ohio State owns. Um, and I think Casper was the one that kind of introduced us to this this concept because they're going to be talking about it um, when it comes time for their portion. We're going to talk about the Kirkbride plan. Thomas Story Kirkbride was a physician who designed mental asylums in the mid-19th century. And the way that he designed them, the belief was that environment and exposure to natural light and air circulation are essential in treatment of mental illness. Now, I'm going to go right along with this and say I completely 110% agree. Oh, yeah. No, the theory is sound. Yeah. That you you need... I always feel so much better after I go for a hike or even like if I just get outside for a few minutes. Um Kirkbride believed in moral treatment as opposed to traditional kind of animalistic, feral ideology that had been around in the asylums at this point. And environmental determinism, which is basically the concept that people are a project or a product of their physical environment. So environmental determinism has been used to justify all kinds of awful things, though. Like, for example, Thomas Jefferson believed that the warm climate made Africans stupid and thereby suitable for slavery. So not good. Not even a little not, bit. Not necessarily great. Not, not great. So so moral treatment, good. Environmental determinism, not so not much. Not so great. Uh, so, so, so Thomas Kirkbride had some, some good and some not so good ideas. Now, his hospitals varied a bit in style, but they all had the same bat wing style. So basically like a central office area with extending wings on either side. Um, the standard number of wings was eight which would accommodate 250 people. So big, hulking, imposing structures. Um, I would be willing to guess that if you think of an asylum, you're thinking of the Kirkbride style. 
Yeah. Uh, the wings were staggered with the idea being that in each corridor in the wing would be open on either end to a breeze with plenty of sunlight. Um, and it's interesting too. I found myself thinking back to the Stanley, um, the Stanley hotel Mm -hmm. in Colorado, because it was kind of designed the same way. Like there, the hallways are long and they're open on either end a lot of the time. So I, I was picturing this as I was researching. Each wing had a parlor, a laundry, a bathroom, an infirmary, a speaking tube, and a dumbwaiter. So, not bad. So, yeah, pretty good. Um, yeah. The rooms should be singles. So, everybody has their own space with 12-foot ceilings. Right. right. Should 12 be. 12-foot ceilings, which I'm on board with. The further you get from the center... Of the of the asylum, the more quote unquote excitable the patients were. Oh, so the really mentally ill ones were put at the end of everything, like away. Just tuck them back in a corner. No one worry. Just don't worry about it. Yeah, basic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the hospitals, according to Kirkbride, should be at least a hundred acres with lots of flora and fauna. And often patients were encouraged to tend the grounds. Obviously, like the more, um, I guess, well-off patients. You know, like if you have a catatonic suicide patient, you're not going to give them a machete to take care of weeds. Mm -hmm. I mean, fair. So um, eventually they were phased out because of budget cuts. But there's still several of them in the country, one of which is owned by OU. Um, And actually, some of the hospitals are still operational as mental health facilities. Um, they've been the inspiration for Arkham Asylum and Batman. And one of them was a filming location for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That's fun. Hmm. So there you go. Yay. <laughs> Kirkbride buildings are the best. They're terrible. They're all asylums. They're really bad. But actually, the concept behind them are fun. <laughs> I mean, the things that took place in the Kirkbride buildings maybe weren't the best, which we'll find out about in a minute with Jackie. But the buildings themselves, I think, are actually pretty cool. Yeah. Like, the concepts behind them, mm-hmm. um, I, I think, are very valid and very holistic and naturalistic and, and have a lot of, of merit. Yeah. It is funny because, like, once you know about, like, the standardization of Kirkbride buildings, you, like, see them pop up everywhere. Like, literally, like, I started doing research on this and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh, it's a Kirkbride. And you just get, like, kind of weirdly <laughs> excited about it. And you're like, wait, I know what it is. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah. And it's it's kind of sad, too, that, like, a lot of them, the original buildings have been torn down. Like, yeah. the original ones that he designed um, and there are some that are, uh, they're still in existence, but they've fallen into such disrepair that you really can't use them for much. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are some that are still operational as like mental health, like mental asylums. Mm-hmm. And then there are others who, um, I forget where it was. I want to say New Jersey, but I'm, I'm probably wrong about that. There's one that is still, um, like, it's still in medical use, but it's all office buildings. Like, it's the headquarters for, um, like, the physician's offices and stuff. Interesting. Hmm. So. So, Jackie, are you going to tell us about the Kirkbride building at OU? No. I'm just kidding. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Okay. So, 
please do. Are things about to get not so nice and wholesome? Um, it's it's actually 50 50, I'll say. Oh, okay. Not it's one of our lighter episodes. Okay. Yeah. And so Well, we'll see when we get to my part. Yeah, I was gonna say my mm. stuff's pretty, pretty, pretty all right. And then I kind of leave some stuff for Casper to go into that's more like individual stories. Um so I'm covering the Athens Lunatic Asylum, which I'm using that name just because that's the original name. It changes like, I can't even guess, maybe like, like 10 17 times. times. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> so many. So that's the OG name. It was built in 1868 and the original building was a Kirkbride style mental um, hospital and... um the this original building was shaped like a bat so that i guess that would just be two wings right like literally because bats mm-hmm. wings. um well it's it's kind of kind of like two wings like so um kind of picture and maybe we can maybe we can put a picture of one up or just google it guys you can find it yeah just so google basically a, bl- a blueprint for like so jackie there's like a like picture a square in the middle and then the bat wings coming out, but on the bat wings, there's like bat wings and bat wings and bat wings. So it's almost more like a, almost more like a spider dragonfly, I guess. Oh, a dragonfly. Okay. Like, I mean, you have like your original one and then there's the wing coming off here and then there's a wing off the wing off the wing. I'm trying to do this with my fingers. Too. So it looks kind of like, like, kind of like this. You know, for sense? all of our listeners who can see what you're doing currently. I know. Well, I, no, I'm doing it for Jackie's okay. benefit. It, look, it looks like I'm making gang signs. I, but I, you I didn't want to say it. Oh, kitty, come back. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so it is Kirkbride style. And so it was shaped kind of like a bat or whatever Kim was doing with her fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one wing for men and one wing for women. And the administrative offices were in the center, which you said is typical to Kirkbride style. And um, there was also laundry room, boiler room, and like some other stuff kind of in the back. But it it was originally just one structure. This was fun. The original building itself was um, built with clay that was dug from the ground on site. So they... Oh, Oh, that's cool. Resourceful. Yeah. So they harvested the clay or like, I I don't know how you'd say that. They'd farmed it. But um, yeah, it was built with stuff on site. That's interesting because I would picture it as stone. So I wonder if they use the clay as like mortar or was the whole building built of clay? I'm actually not sure. Because, and it's confusing too, because I don't actually know which structure is the original because there, I think it, I'll get to it, but there's like 200 some buildings that were built. Like, oh, the Kirkbride ones? Um, not Kirkbride, oh. but like on the um, campus. Lot of land. Yeah, campus. So, yeah. So, if you're on campus, I did read, and I thought this was interesting. It's the ROTC building. Mm-hmm. So, the Kirkbride Hospital is now oh. the Army ROTC offices okay. or building. So, if you go there, just which. Like, I have a reason to go there because that's what Steve does is he's an ROTC recruiter. So we have a reason to go there, I guess. That's true. Well, Casper and I went and we had no reason. (laughs) We weren't allowed to go inside the building. We just wandered around the outside. 
Oh, well, I think you can go inside now. Oh, that's But nice. I don't know if they use it for training purposes or, or what. Well, and it depends, too, because there's many buildings with many different purposes. Um, oh, yeah. Which I think I get. I think I get to. Guys, calm. Calm down. I'm getting too far. <laughs> um, so this original building was designed to house 572 people. Um, and that was almost double what Kirk Bride had suggested because Kim had said it's normally like 250 people in a building. And eventually there is some overcrowding that happens here. So just a little and a mental asylum. No way. No way. That never happens. Just a little bit. Oh, Theodore just gave me a weird look. Okay. So when it was originally built, um, it was built on 141 acres, but then once it kind of maxes out in the 60s, there's about a thousand acres. And oh wow, oh wow, there's over 78 buildings. I said 278, so a little bit less. Yeah, <laughs> Jackie knows how to do math. It's okay. It's, it's an okay, hour guys. away. You're a mess. Yeah, Kim can't do geography. You can't do math. I'm uh, confusing Ohio State and Ohio University constantly. We're just on a roll today. It's just awful. Um, So the asylum, actually, it was almost completely self-sufficient. They would grow their own livestock for the most part. They had greenhouses, orchard, kind of all that stuff. So the basis of it is good. Like, I, I do think the asylum, I think this particular asylum was either they did well or they meant well. For a majority of the time. So I okay. think it's a pretty solid, for the most part, place. Um, the buildings that were added included a dairy barn, which is now the arts center. There was a beacon school. They had a receiving hospital. And they had a tuberculosis ward, which it Ooh. started off Yay. as Cottage B, um, which was just like housing. And then, yeah, it was changed into tuberculosis. And so... Yay. <laughs> Put all the lungers in one place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they got quarantined, too. There you go. I'm just kidding. So just remember, it could be worse. You could be in the tuberculosis ward. Yes. That's true. Um, And then, so as time went on and there was more and more people, they did build some more cottages. Um, So if you look at a map, there's like college A or cottage A, B, C, D, all stuff. Um, So... When the asylum was built, uh, it ha- it had a lot of people kind of through its lifetime. They housed Civil War veterans. Um, they would house children, elderly people, um, rebellious teenagers, like parents who would just be like, <laughs> you need to learn a lesson. Like, I'm going to send you here for a month. Like, they would. I don't like your tone. Yeah. Like, don't be in the asylum. <laughs> um, and then just people who were considered mentally unwell. And patients' mental wellness kind of ranged from just slightly distressed to um, severely mentally ill. So there was a huge range. You just had people like Casper, who's just like sassy, a sassy person. Oh, let's be real. If I was any in any other timeline oh, in true. any you would other generation, I would... Ways. I would die 15 different ways and I would be in like an asylum in, I would say every generation up until now. That's yeah. And, that's Cas- and Casper wouldn't even probably, I would guess that you probably wouldn't be towards the middle. You would be like one of the end. Oh, definitely. Patients. Yeah. You'd be I considered do severely like yeah. 
fray. When you consider the things that people would get, yeah, like mass hysteria and like shit like that, where it's just like they would call it, uh, they would call it what, um, if a if a woman was just too opinionated, yeah, like a hundred percent, just yeah. Oh, just sign me up for the asylum. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So when it first opened its doors, there was forty four women and thirty nine men. So it was smaller. And that surprises me that there, I would, I, I would expect there to be a lot more women. That's pretty evenly balanced. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's true. Um, Asylum history is pretty, um, sexist towards women. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, you'll find. Yeah. Okay. So some of the unique reasons that people were admit or not even unique, some normal reasons that people were admitted to, um, the hospital for were epilepsy, menopause was in there, <laughs> which I just thought was funny. Right. Um, alcohol addiction yeah, and tuberculosis. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So those are, I mean, like they're normal illnesses, but I yeah, insane asylum. No, well, for the most part, no. Uh, so while general ill ill health was the most common documented reason too so like when they're listing all these reasons a lot of people they just say oh like ill health ill health there's just something up with them we don't really know <laughs> but yeah we'll take them yeah which something not right about this that one also shows how, like how little they kind of knew at the time where because mental health people are just now figuring out mental health and even then like we only know a small sliver of it yeah but they knew so little there's like like there's ill like uh, I, I don't know the so um i mean the fact that they're like epileptics were like I, the thought of nora in a mental asylum mm-hmm. i mean i know she's only three but like nora would be headed to the mental asylum when she was a teenager yeah yeah just because she has epilepsy that is not anything to do with her that's not her fault like otherwise totally normal she just seizes sometimes mm-hmm. maybe not even as a teenager like kids get sent to the asi- got sent to the asylum all the time oh yeah i feel like I it like was it. just a we don't know what's wrong we can't see it we're gonna send them here and then just like maybe one day they get better we'll put them somewhere with a lot of maybe. trees and then like that's our best <laughs> bet <laughs> like like a uh they're just like a plant we'll just put them in the sun and then maybe they'll get better <laughs> yeah um, so the three leading causes for women being admitted, um, within the first three years of operation were, uh, having per, pe- per, per, peperal disorder, P-U-E-R-P-E-R-A-L, which was just a broad term for like, kind of just things that would happen after you gave birth where like maybe you weren't quite oh. healing. Oh, right. like, like po postpartum yeah and it it was like it was a wide range of things so it could be you were either having um an infection just from giving birth uh just like normal hemorrhages like tearing stuff like that like very like more mild stuff but somehow that shouldn't you go to a normal doctor then yeah like they were sent to a mental hospital because of yeah, I, I mean, I guess I can see, if you think about the time, too, like, you think about if a baby doesn't latch right away, or if you have mastitis, and your milk production is not where it should be, or, you know, that obviously must be your fault. 
that your baby is not yeah. latching to feed. Your baby doesn't must like be something. you, so. Yeah, so you need to go to the asylum. Yeah. This is true. This is the period of time when basically medicine was like, you got demons in your blood. You better do some cocaine about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leech it <exactly>. out. <laughs> just, just leech it out. Um. So that's reason number one. Reason number two, um, the term was change of life which just meant if there was a sudden change in a woman's social class. So if you were like really rich and then you got really poor, this is the number two reason why women went to the asylum. Wow. Because what at this point, your husband made a like bad stock market decision and now you're in the asylum because of his shitty ass decisions. (laughs) It was probably because the woman was so mad at him and she's like, you better effing fix this. And he goes, Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> Wait, when what time what time period was this? Um, this was the first three years of it being opened, and it opened in 1868. Okay, so I could see like because this is right after the Civil War, right? Mm-hmm. I don't right. know. You're the history so, one. Or close to close to the end yeah, of the Yeah, because there were Civil War. War veterans that would go there. So Yeah, so I can see how if you had been Especially like in the South, if you had come from money and you lost it in the war and you basically. So like I can I can picture a lot of social class um, change, mm-hmm. like drastic, quick changes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the last one. Still not the woman's fault. Still shouldn't be put in the <laughs> asylum because her husband Agreed. went off and fought in a war and and yeah. somebody burned down their and house and someone yeah. burned down their house well yeah. agreed well guys the last one is my personal favorite cuz i can relate to this is um menstrual derangements <laughs> <laughs> give her some light and chocolate she'll be fine yeah, yeah. just she'll be all right give it about a week and she'll be fine just a heated yeah, right. blanket and some or- tissues you're good <laughs> Like Casper said, this is like the time when cocaine was rampant. So like, just give her, give her a couple lines, stick her under a tree. She'll be good. She'll be good. Totally fine. (laughs) Just don't make eye contact with her, please. Like, (laughs) um, when the Coke runs out, throw her an opium. It's yeah. Yeah. So those are the women's. There's two main leading causes for men in the first three years of being open. And it was, um, masturbation. Sure, classic. <laughs> and alcohol addiction. If you diddle yourself, you're going to go blind. <laughs> who, who is who's admitting them? Like their wives? I don't. I honestly don't know. But yeah, like, that's a really awkward conversation. Off to other people. So, like, are they admitting themselves, or is somebody like walking in and just be like, "Ah, oh, god damn it, Jerry! Now you got to go to the asylum." Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Not again. But yeah, so those are the main reasons, the main five reasons, the first three years they were open. And um, depending on the severity, you could you could either have like you're completely free for the most part. You just kind of can wander wherever and be here at night. Or you could be in full lockdown. So there was a wide range of how they would treat people, pretty much. Oh, right. I don't know where the masturbators were. Like, could they freely range? Full lockdown. Like, Rome and... <laughs> Wait, so I'm going in a room like by your- myself and I'm locked there? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is supposed to stop me from doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, and 
so it opened in was it 1868 the it um peaked in like the 1960s and yeah and then it eventually closes which i'll talk about so the patients themselves they would treat the patients by performing lobotomies which i believe casper is going to go into more detail about correct yay um electroshock therapy hydrotherapy and they also used psychedelic drugs yay all good Mm. things hydrotherapy is the worst is it yeah and also we should probably clarify that this is not like this is not like when you go do a float at the relaxation spa. This is this is like waterboarding. Yeah, basically hydrotherapy, and I could be wrong about this because I didn't actually do research. It's just what I know like mm-hmm. of it is you basically you put a patient in a bathtub and you basically strap them down and so they can't leave the bathtub and you like basically pour boiling water on them mm. and then leave them in there for like hours. Okay, because I when I was looking up hydrotherapy i was i kept finding like the modern ones so it's just like oh mm-hmm. you're kind of in either a warm bath or a cool bath and i was like that sounds yeah, wonderful the like, modern ones are actually the modern ones kind of nice are- i've never done it but there's a place near us called gravity spa and they're kind of known for their float they, they have like flotation pods so basically it's just a pod and it's got like i think you maybe can play music through it but it's fully enclosed, and you just float it's in the like water. It's like zero gravity and sort of thing. Yeah, and there's like soothing lights and stuff. And I, I think I would get bored, but it's a thing. Hmm. So even though they're doing stuff like this, like the uh, the psychedelic drugs, electroshock, lobotomies, all. I mean, to be fair, like this hospital itself is not bad. All of the hospitals were doing this. Yeah. Like, every single yes. asylum was so doing these kinds of things. They were actually considered like the gold standard for the era. So again, yeah. I, I feel like it's a situation where it's, are they doing good things? No, but do they, I think they mean, they genuinely mean well for the most part. Yeah. They didn't know that what they were doing was yeah. wrong. Um, but over time, um, the over they started overcrowding and um like the quality kind of lessened but i also think that that line was supposed to be moved somewhere so i'm going to ignore that for now <laughs> um <laughs> so going through a list of things they did electroshock therapy and this would actually involve Classic. inducing seizure activity by applying electric currents to the brain for several minutes wait i'm sorry wasn't one of the reasons why you could get uh, admitted was epilepsy yes yeah so you know so what now we're gonna seizures is just more seizures. <laughs> so if you didn't have seizures before, you're, you're going gonna to have them now. How about we just do more of them? <laughs> Won't that be fun and good for your brain? Like hair of the dog, treat the seizure with yeah. seizure. Insane asylum, I think I fixed it. <laughs> just I just the motto should just be a, I think I fixed it. Yeah. Close enough. Um so fun fact with fun this. Fun fact that's not that fun. Yeah. Um so some believe that the origins of electroshock therapy came from this guy named Hugo Cerelletti. And it might either be origins or he was the guy that like kind of tailored electroshock therapy. Um, he got the idea when he saw pigs being shocked at a market before being butchered. And he saw them um, post shock kind of being in like a trance. And he was wondering like, huh, if I do this to humans, maybe this will be kind of like an anesthetic for them. What and so that's psychopath. what triggered it in his mind. 
what kind kind of psychopath is going to look at a pig and see that and be like, I could probably do that to a human. But no. Now, to be fair, we still do animal laboratory research testing now. I mean, yes. And we shouldn't, but yes. All of our... All of our vaccines and all the everything treatments have to go through animal clinical trials before they're fit for humans. But he saw it from so a pig about to get butchered. A butcher. Yeah, that's and a then little goes, different. Hmm, medicine. <laughs> Just, yes, <laughs> medicine. That's that's a little different. Yeah. Um, so today, actually, with electroshock therapy, it's it's been um, tailored and it's still used today. And it's actually considered very effective for helping people with depression, bipolar, and schizophrenia. Like, it's genuinely a good thing. Really? Now. Yeah. And I was looking into this because I, my friend with bipolar, um, mm-hmm. I suggested it to them. But it's supposed to be very successful. And it's, they've gotten it where it's just the right shock, where it's almost just like a reset button hmm. somehow. So what you're saying is... Since I have, I, as Casper, have depression, I shouldn't just go stick a fork in the garbage, like in the like little socket and electroshock therapy myself. Oh, I mean, try it. It's not advice. It couldn't hurt. I, I mean, okay, it could, cool. but. Yes, it could. Can Jackie. <laughs> Casper, no. listen to me. So listen to I me. just mm-hmm. do it and see what happens. I'm going to put a, okay. I'm going to put a PSA out there for our listeners. Please don't go stick a fork in your electrical socket. Like, please don't try to self-treat by doing electroshock it therapy. It should be noted Please. that I am kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm serious. Don't, don't All sue right, Jackie, us. I'll do it. I'm just kidding. I'll do it Please for don't you, sue okay? me. Please don't sue me. <laughs> I can't afford it. Um, but yeah, so it's actually kind of good. So, and then for hydrotherapy, I just said it involves soaking in a tub and then goes on. I'm just going to skip that whole thing. It's horrible. It sucks. It's horrible. It's real bad. Um, and then psych- psychedelic drug therapy would be when a patient is given a drug like LSD, DMT, or MDMA, which is ecstasy or Molly. Which when I was okay, when I was doing this, I was trying You're to figure out. Crazy. Let's put mind-altering drugs into your system. Yeah, you have schizophrenia. Like, let's make you hallucinate some more. Like, yeah. I was trying to figure out how that would help. You, I think, I think maybe they just try to break your brain. Yeah, like if you're epileptic, let's make you seize more until your brain breaks. If you're schizophrenic, let's overwhelm you with hallucinations until you just can't, like you you just don't know what is what anymore, and you just, yeah, you're just broken. And the rest will just shock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, and so the people that they would actually give drugs to more often than not um, were people with alcoholism, with autism, and terminal illnesses. Oh, oh. yeah medicine (laughs) again like we don't know we'll just kind of throw everything at you and see what sticks (gasps) ain't that right kitty on i mean i guess terminal patients eh, enjoy the end of life yeah that one kind of makes sense like easing easing pain like that one i can like kind of understand i still would maybe not do mind altering drugs but like i get like pain meds and stuff to make you happy like i get that yeah right yeah but yeah so that's cool um and then in so that's kind of the treatment stuff and then there's two um characters that stick out which again casper is going to go into more detail and that is um in 1997 uh the athens lunatic asylum made news by housing billy milligan who's not a great guy, 
who Casper will talk about. And uh, then no, I will not. You were supposed to research him. Oh, I thought okay. Well, I can research it, or I can tell you real quick because I did research it, and then I thought I said like, oh, you can take it. So pretty much, he was a serial rapist, and um, he went to the um the trial thing and he was one of the first guys to use the insanity plea and he was one of the first guys to be like considered innocent because of the insanity plea yay yes. we love that and i don't like that he was a serial rapist like that's okay if you can use the insanity defense if you kill somebody but i don't know i think i have strong feelings about now rape. Strong, I do, strong feelings oh okay so he did he did have multiple personality disorder. So, Ooh. sorry, I just read that. That was on there. Um, so he did have something. And he, he was sent to um, this asylum for, I think, like 10 years. But then he was let go. And then he died at like age 59. And then kind of hmm. had a decently happy life, which I don't know how I feel about. Because he never like, went to jail for his crimes or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, like 10 years. Yeah. I've always really, that's something that I've always been kind of interested in is the punishment of people with multiple personality disorder who one personality commits a crime unbeknownst to the other personalities. And I mean, because what my understanding is like, you really are detached. Like you really cannot control Mm -hmm. your body, but it's two distinct, very different personas i guess i don't i don't know i don't know how multiple personality disorder works like scientific deep dive Mm -hmm. into it but it doesn't seem fair to punish one person it would be like if if chang and ang who we talked about in our one of our circus episodes if chang committed a crime and then ang had to get sent to prison too even though he didn't do anything yeah just Mm -hmm. because they were conjoined twins do you know what i mean like yeah yeah. i get that it's it's tough it is a gray area, but then it's like you still want to see that person like go to yeah, prison because they, still need they some did kind do of a it. punishment. But yeah, no, it is a yeah. gray area. But so I did, I did do some research on it, Casper. But, Thank you. Yeah. So then the very next year, I believe you covered this because I didn't research this at all. Um, in so 1977, Billy Milligan was um, sent there. And then 1978, a year later, the hospital made headlines again with a patient by the name of Margaret Schilling, which you did, right? That one I cool. did. I promise I did that one. Okay, cool. So those are the two um, like big stories that come with this place. And so the decline, the hospital reached its peak in the 19, uh, 1950s. I think I said 60s earlier. Um, in the 50s with 1,800 patients. And oh, so wow. a little bit more than they were supposed to have. It was designed for 250. It was um, designed for 500 and something. Because originally it was built for 500. It was like 570 people, which was twice of what Kirkbride suggested. So I don't know if they made twice as many, like made it twice as big. But then on top of that, it was overcrowded about four times as much. Yeah. Yes. So then that's when, um, like, the quality just kind of goes down. Um, I couldn't find anything super notable, but they would say, like, people weren't seen as people at that point. They were just kind of sheep. 
it wasn't the best um, situation. And um, they eventually shut their doors 119 years later in 1993. Wow. Which I thought was insane. Whoa. That's really recent. Yeah. And um, so Casper and I actually went to this place and we did like our big Ohio loop. And so where we were, um, there was the Kennedy Museum of Art, um, which you you can actually go into. It's an active part of the campus. Um, and they do tours there of, of art. So if you go there, they're not going to really talk about the asylum as much. Uh, the a lot of the buildings are still there and they're kind of used they're used as classrooms, as storage rooms, um, different kind of miscellaneous things. And it's renamed today as the Ridges. So they renamed it the Ridges to get the asylum name kind of out of it's there. It's a better better press. Yeah. Ridges? Are there like hills or something? Yeah. yeah. So when we went, um, if you're going on to the the part that we went, it's on top of a hill. So we kind of drove where there was a drop off, right, Casper? Like we mm-hmm. we had come up and there's a cemetery there that we saw that Casper again is gonna talk about. And it was kind of like a big drop off. So and it's a beautiful, it's a very pretty area. Huh. Maybe we'll go for a drive during quarantine time. Yeah. Honestly, like it's a really it, pretty man. drive. Yeah. Our mobile quarantine air or mobile quarantine rolling safe place. Yeah. Um, and so if you do go, uh, you are able to walk around the property freely because it, it's a campus. A lot of the buildings can be museums. Um, they also do historic tours and ghost tours, and they have profits that go to scholarships there. That's nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that that's pretty cool. And, um, there, so, like I said, many buildings are still in use today. And if you go on the Ohio University website, it has a map of the old asylums, and you can click on the buildings, and it'll say what the buildings were and then what the buildings are, which is really oh, cool. Oh, I like that they're leaning into it. I like that they're not trying to just, like, cover up, but they are like, no, this was a big part of this building's history. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't 100% awesome, but they did do a lot of medical things yeah. and medical advances so i think they kind of lean into that side of it um yeah as opposed to the abuse side yeah you know <laughs> um so i clicked on some of these buildings on the website for fun and the old laundry room is the printing resource center cool um there is a research laboratory that is used um in what used to be cottage m and where Casper and I were, it was the main administrative building at the time. So maybe, I, I don't think it was the, the OG Kirkbride building. but um, No, that's I don't the, think it was the original. Okay, so maybe it was like near the end, this administrative mm-hmm. building. But um, yeah, and you can go onto OU's website and click on that. And that's all I got. You can walk around. When we went, um, I remember Casper and I kind of agreed we would go to different places and some pl- places felt really weird. And this one didn't feel that weird at all. At least not negative. Like yeah. it didn't really feel like if we did feel anything spiritual there, it didn't feel crazy, like violent or negative. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. But 
like Jackie mentioned, uh, there are uh, some cemeteries on the plot, um, which is kind of what the ridges are famous for. Um, so there's actually three massive cemeteries across the grounds. Um, and the people who were buried in them were typically members of the asylum who the families wouldn't claim. Um, and so it would just be these big mass graves full of bodies and um, uh, 19 or sorry, 1930 people were buried in there, um, 700 women and 959 men, all of them marked with only a number. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. like that. And we so, we did walk around that, too. Mm-hmm. And it was we only I think we only went to one cemetery, right? Because it took yeah, us we only went to, to the, like, the main one. <laughs> There's the main one that has most of a lot of the gravestones in recent years. A lot of the families have come and like reclaimed people. Um, so like we, they kept the gravestones just as a remi- like reminder of kind of how shitty it was. Um, yeah. And so there's, and a lot of them were veterans and stuff like that. So like a lot of people were taken and reburied in private graves that did have names and numbers, like names and dates and stuff on it. Um, but the main cemetery just has like rows and rows and rows of tiny little tombstones that just have a number on them. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one register that is known to exist, only one, and it contains the names of uh, 1,700 of the almost 2,000 people buried, um, which means there are several people who are undocumented and like lots and lots of people that like, we have their name, but we have no idea what number they're under or like it's oh. miscalculated. Like it's one register that isn't very accurate. Hmm. Um, there are a lot of gravestones that are hidden back in the forest. Um, and there is this kind of like extensive nature trail that you can go, which we did actually walk on, which mm-hmm. is actually lovely. It's a lovely nature trail. But as you're walking along, you'll just look down and just see another one that's just kind of hidden Ooh. in the forest. I, I do remember that being really weird because there's one, the one we went to was a main opening and it was just rows and rows and rows. And then there yeah. was a path that kind of went along the, it went, because it was on a hill. So it went down mm-hmm. kind of the ridge and you could walk through. And I think they literally just lined the path with tombstones. It was they were like very weird, but yeah, it was very weird, very neat. Yeah. Um, People do say that the woods and the cemetery are haunted. They say that um, people have seen shadowy people, strange lights, and screaming in the woods. So, good things. Um, There also is a small portion of the cemetery where the graves have formed a circle, um, which is said to be a witch's circle, where witches come and meet to conduct their seances. It should be noted, however, when this happened, it was during the 1970s, which is when the uh, satanic pandemic uh, panic was happening. So mm-hmm. it 90% was just kids fucking around and being like, this will <laughs> be I was going to yeah. ask how accurate that was. Because yeah. is there something with, like, is witches circles a, a thing or is that? It is. Oh, it okay. is a thing, but like not to do evil, like you use circles in spellcasting, sure, but not in like, I'm going to go into a cemetery and make a circle out of gravestones and sacrifice, and a, goat. sacrifice a ghost, and dance around it naked dance and proclaim in its blood, my love to like, Satan. Sh- 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 yeah. Like that's not what we do. <laughs> good to know because i thought it was so when you but when you when you do sacrifice goats and dance Mm -hmm. around naked like 
do you make the music yourself? Yeah, or it's, do you have like an Alexa dope that you take remixes with you? that we do? Um, I I do them all myself. Normal Friday night for me. Okay. Um, ha- no, have you seen the movie it, with Sandra Bullock and Betty White? Yes, yes, it's when yes, it's like the... just sing whatever comes to you, and she's like to the window, <laughs> to yeah. the wall. Is it kind of like that? Exactly like okay. that. It actually turns into la- I, a lot of um, just like acapella riff offs. See, I was picturing something along the lines of trolls, like you were, you know, JT in it out mm. there in the in the middle of the forest in your witch's that circle too. with your I would support that. bloody goat. Mm-hmm. So anyways, <laughs> so there's a witch's circle there. Um, so now I'm going to talk about uh, Margaret Schilling, who Jackie mentioned, um, which is one of them, like the famous story at this asylum. So Margaret Schilling... Uh, was a member at the asylum, and I couldn't really find what she was there for. It said that she wasn't a particularly troubled patient, and she had a, actually a lot of freedom. Um, she was able to roam the asylum and the grounds, and even go into town like unattended from time to time. Like, so she was actually like pretty well off at the asylum. So maybe she was one of the ones that you know, like a Civil War widow or yeah. whatever, that had lost her lost her money and you know didn't have any well, place to go. Kind of no, because she disappeared in 1978. Oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> so she was 54 when she disappeared, and she disappeared on December 1st, 1978. Um, it says like there's a couple different stories about why she disappeared, but the main one is that she was playing hide and go seek with the nurses, and they got distracted and forgot about her. And so she like went and hid, and they just never found her. Oh, but wouldn't she just be like, okay, like I give up, or is she like really dedicated? Well, she wasn't discovered until January twelfth, forty-two days later, by a maintenance worker who found her inside a long abandoned locked ward. Interestingly, how'd she get in there? It was locked from the outside. No one knows how she got in. Oh, or if someone ooh. locked her in, maybe it's murder. Maybe it was murder. I bet just the nurses got tired of playing hide and go seek, and they're like, "Well, we'll <laughs> for a little bit," and then they forgot. And then to they go forgot get. to go back. Yeah. So yeah, she was found locked inside a very long abandoned. Uh, it was actually a ward used for in, like infectious patients. Oh, yeah. Nice. So also good things. Um. Tests did show that she died of heart failure, um, and it was probably due to exposure to the cold, because um, she was 54. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the other weird thing was she was found completely naked with her clothes very neatly folded next to her. But it should be noted that if she was feeling exposure to the cold, like that's apparently a thing called that's paradoxical undressing um, yeah, for hypothermia normal. patients. Um, but would you fold yeah. them? Because you're Maybe like, not mean, you could, point, right? Yeah, you could. Like, so basically what happens is your body um, basically tries to warm itself and, or it's not even trying to warm itself. It's basically your nerves are sending messages to your brain that you, you need to warm yourself. So basically it's like tricking your brain into thinking that you're warm and you overheat, even though you're actually freezing mm-hmm. to death. So she thinks that she's really hot when really she's just really, 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 really cold. And so she would, you know, take off her clothes to cool down and, you know, neatly fold them to put back on after she cools off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. But she never cools off. 
Except she only cools Except off. Except she only cools off. She freezes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the interesting thing was since she was left for so long um, and there was a weird combination of bodily fluids, sunlight, and the like components of the concrete underneath her that left a permanent stain of where her body was. Um, Ooh. It is complete all the way down to an imprint of her hair. Whoa. To this day, no one can get rid of the stain. It is there forever. That's gross. There's pictures of it, too. Oh, yeah. there's, it's so, like, Google it. There's so many pictures of it. It is. Can you see yeah. it? Mm-hmm. It is. Like, can you go visit no, it No, right no. Sorry. I, I, I misunderstood what you meant. No, you can't actually go see it. Um, lots of times, people at the university do study it. Um, so, like, there are times where like people have seen it and people do interact with it but it is not open to the general public no Ah. are you looking it up i am looking it up i do remember you telling me that on the drive there you're like dude there's a stain and i'm like that sounds awful isn't it crazy yeah it is pretty crazy so it's said that her spirit still appears staring down from the window of the room her body was found, which was Ward N20. Um, some say they've seen her figure appearing through, uh, as though she's attempting to escape. So she'll like rattle doors or like bang on the window. Um, they also say that uh, she's also been known to like wander various other parts of the building at night. Um, some have even reported seeing random writing appear on the walls. And one of the like more famous messages was, uh, and I quote, I was never crazy. Oh, Oh, that would be unsettling. Yeah. She looks, if you see a picture of her, she doesn't, she looks like she has seen some stuff. Yeah. In her life. She's very like, she's very gaunt. Her eyes are sunken. Her cheeks are sunken. She how old did you say that she was? Like in her 50s? 54. She looks much older than 54. Yeah. Oh. Um, so she, yeah, she looks like she's she's had a rough life. Ooh. Yeah, poor Margaret. She looks like she's honestly like 90, like, like 90s. She looks old, yeah. yeah. Um, some other ghosts at the asylum. Um... There are, sorry, reading my notes over. Um, Well, some other interesting stuff is you mentioned Cottage B, which was the old tuberculosis ward. Um, That remained intact until 2013 when it had to be torn down due to risk levels because there was asbestos in the walls. Oh. Oh, yeah. Um, Which I bet that's the reason why a lot of those places aren't around anymore. Good old asbestos. Lead paint and asbestos and that stuff. Even like the lead paint, it's it's expensive. So the hospitals that are still functioning, I'm imagining, probably were the later built yeah, ones that didn't use those and kind of tools. They probably, yeah. Well, but even if they did, like it is very expensive because you can do it. Like you can go in and remove all the lead based paint and all the asbestos, but it costs a heck of a lot yeah. of money to mm-hmm. do it. Um, some people say that they see strange figures standing in empty, empty wings. Uh, they'll hear disembodied voices, the squeaking of gurneys, which is a fun one. Mm -hmm. Um, floating lights and screams that will echo through the halls. Um, there were rumors that there were mistreatment of the patients and they would be shackled in the basement. And if you go down there, you can hear like the clinking of chains, but those are rumors. So Mm. we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and it's also very common to feel like someone is right behind you as if they're going to bump into you and then turn around and no one's there. Like that's one of the most common things that happens is just the feeling that mm. someone's right behind you. Mm. I don't like no. that one. Yeah. Alrighty. So I would rather a ghost like pull my hair than just hover. Then just, just stand there just like, I'm not touching you. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. No. Alrighty. So now um, we can cut this out, but I also did a lot of research on... Um, a doctor who is very, very famous. And so he wasn't one of the like main people at the asylum, but he did go there and perform operations. And that's super interesting. But this episode has been going on for a while. Do you want to keep going? Do it. Do okay. it. Yeah. I just wanted to check to see if we wanted to save it for a different one or do a second part or something. Um, is it long enough for a second part? No, it'd have to be, mm. we'd have to add it onto something. Yeah. Go on, yeah. All right. There. You do you. So, all right. So I'm also going to talk about uh, Dr. Walt- Walter Freeman. Um, so he was not a main, like, uh, faculty or not faculty, sorry, uh, staff at the hospital. Um, but he did go there often to perform surgeries, mostly lobotomies. Of course. So Freeman was born November 14th, 1895. He was raised in Philadelphia. His grandfather, William Williams Keene, which is a name, (laughs) um, was a well-known Civil War surgeon. And his father was also a very successful doctor. He attended Yale and graduated in 1916. And he focused his study on neurology. Yeah. Um, At the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. He was also known as Dr. Lobotomy, which is a great name to have. Dr. Lobotomy. That would be my party name. (laughs) I am Dr. Lobotomy. Right? If you were a DJ, that'd be a good good DJ name. Yeah, that'd be a great DJ name. I called it. For, you know, our uh, dubstep witch circles. I was just thinking. (laughs) There you go. Um, He was not the first one to attempt this procedure. That is actually... uh, uh, mostly attributed to a Swiss physician, which is Gottlieb Burkhard, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, so that's like the first lobotomy that happened. Um, and then on November 12th, 1935, a Portugal neurologist, uh, Egas Morens, I think is how you pronounce his name, announced his new leucotomy procedure, which w- it involved going into the brain and taking out small corings um, from the patient, patient's frontal lobes. It's going to be a lot of medical terms that I'm not going to be able to say. I apologize in advance. Maybe I can help you. I'm taking A&P part two yeah. right now. Cool. Yeah. So open up the patient's brain and just like take out tiny little bits of it. Um, so Freeman looked at that and he was like, hmm, that's cool. And he became obsessed with that procedure. But then he thought, you know what? I can improve that. What if instead we come up with the lobotomy, which instead of taking small portions of the brain, it means you just sever the cortex or you sever the connections between the frontal lobe and the thamus. So instead of being precise, you just just kind of clean slate it. Yep. Hit the reset button. Oh. Yeah, we're good. He did actually lose his license um, because a patient died while on his operating table. Um, So he hired a partner named James Watts. And um, 
in the first year of them working together, um, sorry, I read that wrong. One year after the first successful leukotomy, um, the other one that was like taking out little portions of the brain, a year after that, Freeman directed Watts in doing the first lobotomy, which was performed on Alice Hood Hammett, who was a housewife from Topeka, Kansas. That's all we know about her. I don't think she was crazy. Oh, probably not. They just were like, Ooh. hey, Alice, you want us to fuck around in your brain for a while? You want less of a brain? Sure. You want less Ooh. of a brain? Sure. Yeah. Blah. In the next two months, uh, they would have worked 20 cases together um, in two months. Whoa, that's a lot. By 1942, they would have performed over 200 lobotomies and published claims saying that 63% of patients improved, 24 were unchanged, and only 14% became worse. Only 14%. 63% improved, and the rest died. <laughs> and the rest died. Even if that was true, that's still... Which it's not. There's no way that's true. Yeah. That's still a lot of people that didn't that's improve. That's still, like, a large percentage of people who, like, didn't improve or didn't change at all. Mm-hmm. Or got or worse. Or got worse. Yeah. Yeah. So almost 10 years later, um, Freeman heard of an Italian doctor named Armano Ferberti. <clears throat> Sure. Um, who was performing a revolutionary technique that allowed him to lobotomize through the patient's eye rather than drooling into their skull. Mm-hmm. I've heard of this. So Freeman decided he liked that idea better. Um, and he started inventing a new technique, which wasn't new because he definitely stole it, but a new technique, which was known as the ice pick lobotomy or the transorbital yep. lobotomy. Which would yep. literally mean you inserted a metal pick into the right corner or into the corner of each of the eyes and hammered it in through the thin brain, uh, thin bone <laughs> with a mallet and then moved it back and forth to sever the connections, which basically meant you literally, literally stirred like, You stirred the brain. So it was like yeah, you you're literally blender rambling and you somebody's brain. And, like, stuck it in their head. Yep. Ooh. It's just, this is scientific. I'm going to stick a, <clears throat> just a, like, metal pick in your eye and then swimmel, like, swivel it around for a while and you're cured. Scramble everything around. You're, you're fine. fine. That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I hate that first, so much. Yeah, it's, it's not good. The first ice pick lobotomy was on another housewife. That was Sally Ellen. Who's going to make their TV dinners? Right? That, yeah, that was Sally Ellen <laughs> Ionsko. Um, sure. It became a very popular procedure because it did not require a neurosurgeon to perform it. And it could be done outside of operating rooms without anesthesia because they would do electroconcussive therapy to induce seizures. So <sighs> while you're seizing, let me stick these ice yep, picks in and your stir eye. stir your brain around. Don't worry, we won't <clears throat> give you anesthetic, but it's okay because it's cheap. You know, it's a good idea when we're doing brain surgery is to make you shake uncontrollably. Yeah, that seems like a great idea. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. This is fine. All of this sounds great and super awesome. Mm. Yeah. So in... I don't know why you wouldn't want to sign up Yeah, we should all go do that. After we stick forks in electrical sockets. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, so in 1950, Watts left the practice because, in his uh, his opinion, it was cruel and they were overusing it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, good um, job, okay. Watts. You're right. <laughs> good job. Um, but Freeman would then travel all across the U.S. and visit all mental, like, all these different mental institutions and just perform it 
um for anybody like literally anyone um because he only and would did charge $25 per he, operation what yeah and he didn't have his license nope. at this time did he he actually had oh, no God. former surgical like formal surgical training and he often wouldn't wear gloves or a mask during the procedure he did get a lot of popularity, though, because uh, people just would hire him constantly, even though President John F. Kennedy publicly damned him because the operation was done on his sister, Rosemary, and she was never like she became severely mentally ill and physically disabled after the operation. Oh, yeah. And they basically had to, like, just put her away yeah. after that, didn't they? Like they just wheeled her into the, the hospital and left her. Yeah, basically. So even like even despite that, he was incredibly popular so much that he uh, during his career, he did over three thousand. Sorry, over three thousand four hundred operations. Nineteen of those were minors. The youngest was a four year old child. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that what? That, like, like how bad you have to be to be a four-year-old and have someone consider this procedure for you? That's what my that's what my girls are. Yeah. My girls are all four. You know, the twins and Ellie. They're mm-hmm. four. I like can't, who in their right mind would decide Jackie that somebody sticking ice picks into Eve and Avery's brain? No. Oh god, that makes me so like I kind of want to throw. It's up a awful. Bit. But if I'm gonna lighten the mood, I could see even Avery being like. We can get ice picks and like running around with those, <laughs> being like, I'm, like j- playing. I can picture even Avery doing the, lo- the like they're gonna play lobotomy. Yeah, like, I'm gonna stab you in the eye, and I'm like, no, like I'm gonna do it first. <laughs> I'm gonna do it first. I'm gonna stir your brain around. Yep, that's that's actually very yes. very accurate. If you knew these kids, they <laughs> would. <laughs> yeah, I I can yeah. see that. So his last patient was Helen Mortson. Um, he it was performed in February 1967. Um, it was actually her third surgery, um, and she died of a cerebral hemi- uh, hemorrhage, hemorrhage, Hem- no. hemorrhage. Yeah. hemorrhage, hemorrhage. There we go. Words. Uh, <laughs> a cerebral hemorrhage. Hemorrhage. Nope. I will never be able to say that word. <sighs> hemorrhage. But this there was not actually Hem- the first time that that would happen. Um, this was actually a very common occurrence, and many of his patients had died. But it was finally like the last straw. And they were like, you know what? No, this is this is illegal now. You can't do this. Mm-hmm. Like, stop doing this. Um, but like a lot of his patients had to be retaught how to do very simple things like eat and use the bathroom. Um, uh, it, sorry. Um, replacement surgeries were often very needed, like to do the procedure again. Um, and about 15% died or never recovered from the procedure. Oh, awful. And in 1951, one of his patients, um, died on the operating table. He was at, uh, Iowa's Cherokee mental health Institute. Um, and so this patient died on the operating table because Freeman decided to stop and take a photo in the middle of the procedure and the surgical instrument accidentally got, went too far and penetrated the patient's brain. I mean, even more than they were supposed to. <laughs> yeah, even more than it was supposed right? to. So I'm going to finish your lobotomy, but first, but first let, me, let take me take a selfie. selfie. Oh, fuck, no. you're dead. Okay. <laughs> Did I do Whoops. that? So the, all that combined, the fact that, like, 
several patients were dying. It really wasn't working. And he had caused a patient's death by taking a fucking photo in the middle of it. Um, he was banned from performing the surgery. And he died on 1972 from complications during an operation for cancer. I kind of feel good At about age that. age 76. That funny. Isn't like that justice. funny? And now you know the history of lobotomies. Hey, and Ohio University. Fascinating. Yes, and so these these procedures happened at this uh, at the Athens Lunatic Asylum all the time. Mm-hmm. Doctor Freeman, Doctor Lobotomy showed up and did those procedures all the time. That's there insane. is some rumors which have been proven false, but I really wish they were true. That he would drive around in a car which he would call his lobotomy beal. Lobotomy beal. Yeah. Okay, I love that. Okay, and okay. I'm like, kinda we're, like we're okay, cool. I, we're that's cool now. I kind of like that. But yeah, asylums are great. I wish that would fit terrible. on a license plate. <sighs> I feel like I need a shower now. They make you feel gross. Yep. Ugh. Anyways, mm-hmm. that's all I got. That's all I all got. Right. Good stuff. It's probably like a four hour Good episode. Stuff. Yeah, this one's a long one. You'll get oh. over it. It's fine. And I didn't think this was going to be no, one of me either. I'm surprised. No, because literally every single person was like, no, I don't have anything to talk about. I don't have anything to talk about. I don't have anything to talk about. Okay. <laughs> Two, hours Two hours later. later. And then I was like, what if I did a bunch of history on lobotomies? What if we talked about go. Kirkbride buildings for a while? Honestly, guys, what do you have to do right now besides listen to us tell you about Kirkbride yeah. lobotomies? Kirkbride lobotomies. You, you, what are you going to go to the grocery store again? <laughs> Come on, play more Animal yeah. Crossing. You're going to do a, a yeah. lap around your house while looking out the window, sad. That's what I've been doing, right? Your dubstep witches circle via Skype. Via Skype. Come on, you can't do it in person. That's true. Right, six feet. Social distancing. I mean, you may as well listen to yeah. us. Yeah, agreed. Yep. All right. All right, well. So, that's this week's show. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can hit us up at mile13show at gmail.com. And that's all I got. Yeah. yeah. It's been real. Godspeed. Bye. Peace out. Bye.